Political Unmuted is a weekly politics show based in the northeast of England. The audience chooses the topics and we discuss them. So enjoy Political Unmuted. And welcome to another edition of Political Unmuted. This is number 59. Can you believe how wonderful? I don't want to alarm anybody out there, but I went to get a glass of water. And, and Paul is, of course, um, our boss. And uh, he's our expert, our political expert. He's our inspiration and our muse. But he is also the tech expert when it comes to doing it. And the last words I heard him saying as, as I left the room to get my glass of water was, it's all broken. So um, if anything goes wrong today, it's all his fault, not mine. Um, sort of, um, let's say hello to everybody. And uh, we have two new people today. It's so very exciting. Um, Jane, you've been on before, haven't you? I have, yeah. Thank you for having me back again. Oh, it's, it's, it's our honour. Uh, tell us a little about yourself for people who might not know you or, or remember. So um, I'm um, a Socialist Think Tank member from the South East and um, um, Paul and Laura and the team have really, um, really nicely been helping me to set up Socialist Think Tank South East, which is brilliant. So very excited about that. Um, I'm not very interesting, really, but... Um, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> you sound very interesting to me. Have you got an area, a thing which is sort of your thing? Like, I mean, you know, I'm generally interested in politics, but my thing is climate change. Have you got a thing, Jane? So, um, oh, I care about so many things, like all of us here, but I really, really care about the housing crisis hugely. Um, so I think um, when I was growing up, our home was repossessed when I was a child. And then we were, you know, moving each year. We moved to a different town in rented accommodation. Then we'd have to move again to another town at the end of the year because the landlord had put the rent up and we couldn't afford it anymore. Um, and yeah, I've just saw my mum work so many hours, you know, working, she worked a day job and then she went out at night and worked a night job in a warehouse as well and got about three hours sleep a night for about 10 years. I don't know how the hell she did it to, um, you know, manage to pay the rent. And so, and I've, yeah, I've seen some shoddy things in the world of landlords and private rentals and I've heard some bad things about um, social housing too, standards. I think ITV did a report recently. So I really, really care about that because like so many things, it destroys people's lives. Um, a life, uh, a home for life is so important where you and the family grow up and it's your home right through. Um, it's, it's vital. Thank you, Jane, for those words. Um, and we got somebody else new as well. It's it's wonderful to put a face to the the, the, the name on the chat, sort of Neil. And of course, you come from the greatest town in, in the world, don't you? I do. I'm from Hull. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, yeah I'm, a, uh, I'm a photojournalist. Uh, many people see me at demonstrations, protests, strikes, you name it. Uh, normally photographing them uh, for various publications, including the Morning Star. Uh, as one of the main outlets uh, that take my work. Um, but yeah, I live in Bradford. Um, uh, until uh, November last year, um, I was working in uh, children's social care in uh, in Bradford, where I was a senior union rep, 
uh, for Unite the Union um, as well. And um, still a member of Unite the Community uh, and also a member of the NUJ as well. So credinism mm. is at my heart. Well, uh, sort of uh, your your um, view of things that the angle you take will be just so interesting to us uh, today. Thank you very much for joining us. And um, yeah. and you have to warn you, you got huge shoes to fill. Stuart has this kind of <laughs> personal following. They, 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 they sort of love him, you know, sort of. Um, you can expect the hate mail coming through. Why are you not Stuart? But there we go. Sort of just John, stop it. Ride it, ride it. I try Geordie accent, that helps. Samantha's, Samantha's telling me. Hello, Samantha. And hello. Um, Paul, hello. Hello. Okay, let's start. Now, the other thing I heard Paul saying um, as, I, as, as I was departing was I don't have a moment of the week this week. So um, as I choose my first victim uh, for moment of the week, I choose, of course, Paul. Paul, what was your <laughs> moment of the week this week? Uh, it's probably the whole Len McCluskey revelations that Keir Starmer has apparently reneged on all sorts of deals and things like that. And he says he doesn't trust him and... Um, yeah, um, the story in um, story oh God, was it the Independent or the Guardian? Um, yeah, so um, there was a deal to allow um, Jeremy Corbyn to rehave the whip, be readmitted into the Labour Party. It was sort of admit like Len McCluskey's impression was that uh, Keir Starmer had just um, jumped the gun and and really. Uh, lost his temper and and expelled Jeremy Corbyn in a fit of rage, which he admitted to expelling himself and then, uh, or suspending him himself anyway. And then, uh, and now it appears that Keir Starmer's saying he actually had nothing to do with it because if he had had something to do with it, then it would have meant that they'd uh, broken the Equality and Human Rights Commission um, recommendations on day one had he been involved. And uh, it's just a... It's just a big old mess, and in many ways, I'm bored of it. In many ways, I'm not surprised by it. And uh, yeah, I guess that's mine. It was a um, an absolutely devastating article, I thought, and um, uh, sort of blowing the whistle. Um, very interesting. Um, let's go to Jane. Jane, what was your moment of the week? Sorry, um, it's not a very cheerful moment of the week, um, I'm afraid. I um, found that um, the Joseph Tree Foundation have done some analysis on the universal credit cut that's about to happen. And I was looking into it and it, it said that 23% um, of the families in my constituency are going to be affected. And it's 10,000 families who are going to lose over £1,000 a year each. So that's horrendous. But if you add that up, that's also going to take about £10 million out of my local economy, which is lovely for all the small businesses here trying to recover from the last two years and then they've um yeah it's with the national insurance increase too just to top that off and I just I don't know how we're ever going to recover from this disastrous economic policy um from this government that so many economists have been shouting for many many years is ridiculous and doesn't work and it just seems to get worse and worse so that's 
not very nice moment of the week. And thank you. No, it's not very nice, but it's very important that you raise it. And um, and it's particularly powerful, isn't it, when you um, actually talk about it at that very local level, sort of millions of pounds taken out of the local economy, thousands of families suffering. Thank you very much. Neil, what's your moment of the week? Yeah, I wish I thought the same one as Jane, because that was a great one. Um, and so, <laughs> it's uh, not a competition. <laughs> no, no, but uh, Trees of Coffee saying that uh, just work two hours extra a week and you make it back. It's like, well, does she not realise that Universal Credit takes 63% off you for every pound, for every pound you earn? It's it, it's stupid. But uh, but uh, So she's either incompetent or a liar or both. Uh, but anyway, um, my moment of the week was um, on Saturday, I photographed the uh, uh, Liverpool against the Electronic Arms Fair um, in Liverpool. Um, and it was it was very well uh, organised, actually. It was about, I'd say, about between three and 5,000 people there. Uh, it was a huge turnout. Um, great speeches uh, from... Uh, John McDonald, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, Charlotte Lunt, who you had on uh, Saturday, um, and various other people, um, and, and some councillors as well. Uh, not many, but a few of them uh, were prepared to break the whip and uh, turn to it. was a very, very good, uh, powerful demo and turned all the attention in terms of the arms trade fairs in London at the moment for DICE, uh, for the world's largest arms fair. Um, it was good that Liverpool got a bit of attention, but of course, it wasn't in the mainstream media. It wasn't covered really at all in mainstream media, of course. You know, they're happy to say about all these migrant boats coming here across the channel, but they're not prepared to talk about, well, hold on a minute, we fund the flipping problem for which uh, they're trying to avoid in the first place. So that'd be my moment of the week. And a spot on moment of the week, Neil. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> uh, what was it? What was the title of the demo again? What was it called? The what demo? Uh, Liverpool against Electronic Arms Fair. Right, thank you very much indeed. And thank you for it. Yeah, it's because um, the, the argument is that the council should stop it because it's in a, a building that's owned by the council, but not quite. It's kind of an arm's length organisation, but that organisation is owned by the council. Um, so, but they're saying, well, we've got, no, we've got nothing to do with it, even though it's complete rubbish from all that I've read. Um, so... But the big thing that happened uh, this week as well in terms of that's really helped the cause is Massive Attack were going to hold an, um, a gig there in uh, Liverpool in that same arena. Um, and it was going to be the first ever green uh, gig uh, where it was going to be zero carbon footprint, uh, which would have been an absolute fantastic uh, coup for Liverpool to pull off. Um, and they said, no, we're going to go elsewhere now because we don't want to be in that room. So it's, you know, it's having an, an impact already, which is good to see. Yes, I'm standing up for principles. Finally, thank you, Neil. Finally, Sam, moment of the week. Yes, well, with all of those things, with the impending uh, war that kills us all and the fact that the Tories are going to take all our money off us, the, the last last bit of, of consolation we've got is that we've got good communities around us who will support us and we've got an, another great uh, bunch of people landed in our community in Shildon one of the pubs which has been a, a pretty problematic pub in the past has been taken over by a folk music enthusiast 
So I'm really glad about that because it's really hard to cause aggro when you're just all about the brown beer and acoustic guitars. Um, so I've been down there a couple of times last week. I've, I've made friends with the guy. I, I sat through his Keely band playing all the way through Saturday and I'm really excited about, about that and helping them um, create this lovely, wholesome environment in the middle of Shildon Town uh, Street, <laughs> Church Street. <laughs> Fantastic. And yeah. uh, that, that, I, hope, I hope that that works. So I, I love folk music. I'll, I'll come along and say, I'm just down the road from Sam. Um, I'll, I'll check it out. Um, thank you, everybody, for your moments of the week. And um, uh, maybe time to move on. Now it's time for the... Big story. Hi, uh, and by the way, I noticed that Graham Marsh is um, back with us uh, this this week. Lovely to see you again, Ma uh, Graham. Thank you very much indeed. Lovely, thank you. Um, this is a question which, um, of course, as a historian, I'm, I'm particularly interested in. But it was raised um, on the uh, comments. Uh, last week, and I said I said we were going to do something about it. I, um, I don't know whether uh, I'm going to take it as a very big, big story, but nevertheless, I've, I've um, taken it first because it's a hangover from last week, and it's something which is continually um, actually uh, used as a, a thing of accusation against um, the left. Um, so let's just see what the answer is. Uh, Paul, the, the question is: Ought English people to be ashamed of their country's history? <sighs> I think, firstly, it's very important to be aware of the history. Um, very important to be aware aware of the history objectively. We are taught a very subjective history. We're taught that through the media. We're taught that through schools. And a lot of very important things can be missed out um, of, of history. So we get this really, really uh, big idea. And I suppose if you look back through through history that we're taught it's like oh well great britain did this amazing thing during world war Two, and therefore every time great britain are involved in a war then they they are um the good guys basically i think we historically see ourselves as the good guys um in great britain but like you know before <laughs> if it was uh if it had been up to some people in the country we would have probably joined the fascists we'd have or we'd have certainly condoned them and at a time, like said, during the time of Franco, they much preferred going, like supporting Franco than they did support the anarchists in Spain, for example. You know, the, so they, they've often had this very, very strange history and a very dark history, very much like we have now, actually. So we've been led by very similar people for a very, very, very long time. And it's really strange. So I know people who absolutely detest privileged people who absolutely think they run the show like Boris Johnson's of this world there's lots of people who are extremely proud of Britain um who absolutely detest what Britain is now but historically like that's kind of where a lot of politicians have come from and a lot of the powers come from um so you know we've got this rose-tinted view of the past and and if you look at empire as well like the British Empire, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, that was necessarily a good thing. We went there and we helped people. And, you know, like the, there's things like India's 
India, for example, look at that, we gave them the railroad. Yeah, but it also made them go from like, you know, um, 22% of the world's economy down to four and things like that. You know, the, the, this is, and also like concentration camps and genocides. These are all part of Britain's history. And if we're not going to accept those things, then we're living in a, a fantasy land. Um, I'm going to finish off like one of my favorite books I've read over the past couple of years has been Natives by Akala. And that's very interesting from the point of view of someone whose grandfather came over from um, from Jamaica. And when he came over from... They, they had this glorified view of Britain because this is what they thought. They thought in um, in Great Britain, everything was brilliant and everyone was really rich and the streets were paved with gold. And when his granddad came over, he couldn't believe that there was a white person sweeping the streets. He just couldn't believe it. He thought in, Great, in, in, in Britain that wouldn't happen. This was such an amazing place and that's what we told everyone. But throughout every single story, there have been poor people. There have been poor people in this country and overseas and around the empire that have been oppressed in all this. So if people want to be proud of the good things that Great Britain have done or the good things that people who are like them have done, we did a St. George's Day special where we talked about England specifically, about all the things to be proud of, like, um, you know, the Chartists and like all, all sorts of different amazing things that people that this country, people from this country have produced. But whether or not we should be so fiercely jingoistically proud of some of the terrible things that we've done and just say, actually, that doesn't matter. The bad parts of that, we'll just ignore that and say that it was all absolutely brilliant. That is an absolutely, um, it's a head in the sand point of view and people don't like to see it. And it's the reason people go to stand, um, defend statues of slave traders rather than speaking to people who are really alive about their lived experiences of how terrible things have been or like, you know, or trying to understand other people's points of view. So yeah, be proud of the good bits, but be aware of the bad bits if you want. Personally, I'm more like, I don't really think lines drawn on a map mean anything. I think what people do, I think people have more in common. I actually believe in, in classes. I think the working class have more in common throughout the world than the upper classes have with the people in their own country. And I think that goes for every country. They're always like this, either elected aristocracies or, you know, people who are there anyway and working class people have less in common with them than they do with the people who are around the world. Thank you. Neil, are you proud or not proud? Uh, in all honesty, neither. Um, I'm, um, I'm, I, I'm, God, I'm like Keir Starmer. I'm on the fence on this one. But <laughs> what what I what I am ashamed of is is the fact that we do, as Paul was saying, we do whitewash um, our history and only tell the good bits, and we only really focus on the good bits. You know, like whenever we talk about war, oh, well, you know, in in wartime, we always refer to Second World War, and we don't acknowledge the fact that actually the UK has been involved in wars almost every year since. But yet we seem to think we're in peacetime now because the bombs aren't dropping here. But yet we are dropping bombs on other countries such as Yemen at the moment. So, you know, it's, there's there's a lot of uh, collective amnesia. Um, I mean, as Paul was saying about India, I was lucky when I was uh, 16 that I went to India, spent a month in Kerala. 
Um, and I saw that the first thing that I saw when I came out of the, the airport was uh, people begging, you know, uh, people with leprosy, um, you know, begging for any, any coins they could get of whichever currency. You know, um, that's one of the legacies that we've left. You know, we, as Paul was, as Paul indicated, that we did actually leave it in a worse state than it was when it when um, when, when we when the when we first went there. So I, I don't think it, you know, pride cometh before a fall, isn't it? You know what I mean? And I think that we've got we have too much pride. I, I think you know, I think we kind of need a bit. I think we need a bit less pride and and a bit more understanding and a bit more. Um, a bit more, as, I mean, Paul's more has covered all that I was saying, because uh, that I was thinking, because, you know, we need to hear it from other points of view, you know, is it, it, we were a colonial um, um, enforcer of other countries, we, you know, we made slaves out of the, we, you know, we, we did so much bad things in the world, so that we could get rich, I mean, the, the landmass of Britain is 1% of the world's landmass, and we ruled half of the world, and you know, and and still he got people going, "Oh, Great Britain," and all that. I said, "Well, who is it great for, and who thinks of it as being great?" So I think I think we need less whitewashing. Is uh, is my view of it, and a bit more, a bit more honest kind of reflection, and and then we can learn from it. You know, we're, we're a global economy, we're a global world now, um, so you know, we kind of need to understand that if we're ever going to move forward as a country. No, it's, it's it's almost a therapy session. <laughs> so yeah, I think Jane that I mean what Neil says is he says um, there's too much whitewashing. I think if you were to talk to people um, on the Tory benches in Parliament, they would say that there's too much trashing of, of British history and that these pinko liberal teachers, the, the sort of teaching about all the bad things like slavery and they, they, they forget the good things like Nelson and, and, and things like that. I mean, the, do, you, do, you, do you agree with Neil that sort of we focus too much on the good aspects of the past? Or, or would, you, would you say there's an argument that in fact, um, children are taught a, a very balanced view of what history is and, and, and teachers don't shy away from the bad things. I don't I don't know what they're teaching in school now, but certainly I was taught a very positive view of what we'd done in the world. And you know, you know, in World War II, the good things we did and we were on the good side. And I wasn't taught um, about the um, people in this country that had wanted to support the fascists. And I wasn't taught about the fact that the British government stopped the film being made showing the what had happened to the people in the concentration camps because they didn't want us feeling too sorry for the refugees here so that we the people were happy to have them come to this country so I, I don't feel I was taught a balanced view of history in school and I suspect it's not changed under this particular government. Do you think therefore, therefore which side do you stand on which side of the fence are you on or are you a fence sitter like Neil? I think we should be very ashamed of a lot of things, but I think we should be very proud and celebrate the, you know, the people who've done amazing things um, and, you know, the NHS and people like Ken Loach who've stood up and created films like Kathy Come Home and the good that the Charity Shelter's done. There's some things we need to be proud of and we need to think about those things because that's what we need to carry on doing. Perhaps the thing to be proud of is the, the, the times when we've um, called out the things that we, we shouldn't be proud of. Uh, Sam, does any of this matter? Does, does, is history all in, should we put it behind us? 
and move on? That's, or is there a value in discussing our history? That's that's a really good question. And I think if it if it spurs you into action, if you are a teacher, if you are a history teacher, for example, and it encourages you to critically evaluate what what the curriculum is is teaching and you're helping to decolonize the curriculum fantastic if you use that to inform how you talk to people around you and your children so that they are better informed going forward that's fantastic but I think we do have to um safeguard against wasting our time talking to people who will never agree with us um it's it's a waste of our energy and we need to focus on changing minds that are winnable um but also supporting our friends who are, are fighting all of their own battles in their own communities along their own lines um so yes and no again terrible fence sitting here I'm gonna get splinters but I think that's the thing we've got to we've got to um what's it called choose your battles I think uh thanks Sam I've got if, some if, really if anyone has to, um if I was sitting on the fence I, I'm not really sitting on the fence on this one I think people need just need to know the truth make their own minds up I don't think like personally I am hugely proud of a certain section of what we've done, but I'm hugely ashamed of the behaviour of a lot of others. And I'm not I'm not gonna like shy away from the fact that that Britain has done some horribly shameful things. Like they starved millions of Indians and they've they, you know, they I think they I'm it's debatable, but invented concentration camps and did some terrible things to their own people like the enemy within the you know it isn't in with uh <laughs> the police were occupied and it wasn't actually the police according to people who lived there they think it was actually the army that was sent in by um by margaret thatcher so you know britain has done some terribly shameful things including inv invading afghanistan uh, for no reason including inv uh, invading iraq for no good reason. And uh, th there are some real things to be ashamed of here. So if people want to take that pride in their nation, which I think is quite a silly, like it's a basking and reflected glory thing, isn't it? You haven't actually done anything in that thing. Then you're going to have to, you're going to have to take the rough with the smooth, aren't you? You're going to have to go, right, okay, I'm really, really proud of what we've done and accept all the things you've done. You just, you know, Otherwise, you say, well, you don't do the pride thing. It's a, it's quite a funny thing to be proud of a country, I would say. I think that um, if, if I can bring this uh, to an end, I think it's a tremendously important issue. Um, my country, right or wrong, is basically a, a kind of a view which is coming in more and more into politics. And we have this xenophobia, this nationalism, uh, this right-wing extremism. And, and, and so the, the, um, I think it's tremendously important that um, we develop the kind of uh, balanced, even nuanced view of history that you've been talking about. I think you've been fantastic. Thank you very much indeed, everyone. Um, three important modern political issues to talk about. Let's move on. Main one. Um, 
We're going to take quarter of an hour over this and rush through the next two, everybody. Um, but quarter of an hour is still not very long. Um, Neil, just talk to us about this. This, this is the question of the social care um, tax plan that Boris has brought forward. Um, talk us through what's going on and uh, some of your thoughts about it. Yeah. Um, well, the. Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, you see, you've froze for a while, Neil. Sorry, yes. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, uh, the Tory government have decided that they need to fix their own mess that they've created over the past 10 years by fixing social care, which um, was already broken in 2010, but has been broken even more since as a result of cuts. What I'm, The way I've looked at it is this, is that you know, there's one element that when when people tend to think of social care, in particular for adult social care, they think of old people in care homes, and that's a fraction of it. I mean, it's a big fraction, but it's a fraction. You know, um, what people don't see is that actually, first of all, it's local authorities that are responsible for providing uh, adult social care, and they've been cut to the absolute bone uh, in this country. Well, certainly, Labour-run councils have more so than uh, Tory-run ones. And, and it's just important to note that in 2019-2020, uh, the amount of money that was spent on social care by, uh, by local authorities was £23.3 billion. That were it, £23.3 billion, um, which is only £99 million more than it was 10 years ago, despite an ageing population. Um, and of course, that figure excludes the amount of people who pay privately for the healthcare as well. Um, but the, 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 there is a couple of fact, There's a couple of statistics that do jump out at me, and it's this: in 2019-2020, there were 1.9 million new requests for social care um, in England alone, um, and of that, um, 560,000 were working age people. Um, so, but 99% received nothing whatsoever. Ne nearly a third received nothing. And of those that got some level of care, that's only 43%. And the bit in the middle received signposting or advice or something like that. So, actually, that, you know, so that sets where we're at in 2019, 2020. Then we have the pandemic, which no one could have predicted apart from the modelling that predicted it and then the numerous warnings that came from World Health Organization. Uh, but of course, no one could have predicted it. Um, and that's made social care far worse than what it was when, when you combine it with the underfunding and everything else. And now, so Boris Johnson, who came in uh, Downing Street saying, um, I've got a plan to fix it. And then I think it was a week after the general election. Uh, then said, no, I haven't got a plan. And, you know, it's like, well, <laughs> who could have seen that one coming? So his plan now is to raise national insurance by, I think it's 2%. I could be wrong about that. 1.25. Um, and it's, you know, because that's going to pay for social care. It was what, sorry? 1.25. It was how much, One, It's 1.25, but that's extra. Sorry, 1 so, yeah. It is, yeah. Um, and it's, but yet yeah, there's no plan. There's no plan to go alongside this, you know. So, how's the money going to be spent? Who's it going to be spent on? 
is it going to go to local authorities or is it going to go to private healthcare providers? I mean, let's not forget track and trace is a really good example here of, um, of where money can be just thrown away. And of course, there's, there's, other, there's other big questions as well as part of this, which is, you know, there's, you know, there's an army of unpaid carers in this country that you know look after relatives, friends, etc., who get no recognition whatsoever from this government. Absolutely none. Is some of that money going to go to them? Is it going to go so that they can have respite care, so they can have a bit of a life? Probably not, because local authorities are actually starting to cut back on respite care now because they haven't got the money to afford that. You know, um, how will the money be spent? You know, nobody knows. There isn't a plan, so they're putting up the tax now. And then later on, they're going to come back with a plan. It's like, well, and it seems to me it's the wrong way around. But today there's a glimmer of hope that came today. And that was uh, Richard Bergen who put a, a motion forward saying, well, actually, it should, we should create a wealth tax. And that's where we should raise the money from. And, it's, you know, it was less than 10% of the PLP supported that. Now, that was only for the proposal. I, I don't know what the vote has been yet. Uh, so I don't know how many actually supported it in terms of the vote and how many voted against the tax rise. But, but this is something that Labour should have been romping ahead of. We have the idea. It was in the 2019 General Election Manifesto for the National Care Service, where a lot of what the Tories are talking about solving with this, with this tax hike, which will affect the poor. I'm not interested in the old versus young argument. That, that's irrelevant. It's, you know, it's yet another... Um, example of uh, rich versus poor. And that's the argument we need to focus on. And the in the 2019 general election, there was the plan laid out there as to how to solve this crisis. So Keir Starmer shouldn't be needing to come in another couple of weeks and a 14,000 page uh, essay of what to do. It should be flipping out there at the front saying, this is our idea, here it is, we're going to sort it. You should have voted for us and we'd have it sorted, but no. Instead, he runs around with his arse on the floor and, you know, and he thinks that people are going to find that attractive. And, it, you know, and it's like, you know, there's no opposition from him. Uh, you know, he's had a year and a half during a, a pandemic where you would have thought he'd be thinking about, well, what's the future of the health service uh, going forward? And of course, it's part of the, the I can't help but think there's something more sinister going on, which is what which is about selling off the NHS, saying it's unaffordable. We have to put it up. We, we have to put up these uh, the national insurance. And of course, the people are going to be paying for it are the people already working in healthcare <laughs> so that you know it, it's just i'm not going to call it a plan because there isn't a plan i'm not going to call it a policy because it isn't a policy you know there's no they've got no mandate for doing this it wasn't in the general election there's been no vote on it whatsoever apart from um in the tories and of course are there enough backbenchers in the tories to stop this tax hike going ahead i don't think there is Thank you very much indeed. I mean, Sam, um, I, 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 the mention of, ne of the Tory backbenchers by Neil uh, leads me seamlessly um, through to Diana Davison. Um, do you, I mean, first of all, do you acknowledge that she has actually done quite well in this thing? She's one of those who's opposing it, or is she opposing it for all the wrong reasons? And secondly, do you think, I mean, 
all the sort of because we're so left oriented, our, our, our focus is always on the damage it's done to the Labour Party and how useless the Labour Party is about it. But in fact, the newspapers are full about the damage it's done to the Tory Party and and um, the, the trouble it's causing for Boris Johnson. Do you think that they there's any kind of suffering on the Tory side of things? Do you think that this has knocked them back at all? What do you think of Dehenna? I was surprised to hear that she abstained on the vote. Um, she did. So for those of you who don't know, my MP, Deanna Davison, has um, a Sunday morning spot on GB News where she sits alongside Nigel Farage and does a bit of a, it's a second job. She, she's like a TV presenter. <laughs> um, so on that Sunday's show, she she showed, she had showed, held up the page from the manifesto and she said, no, we were elected that we weren't going to put um, taxes up and I'm not going to put taxes up and that, you know, and, and she did specifically mention that raising national insurance hits the poorest the hardest and that it is unfair and then she went ahead and abstained now abstaining is not opposing abstaining is not showing up for work um and it just goes to show people are saying hasn't she done well for a tory hasn't she done well for a tory she should she chose not to vote against her best wishes of her constituents she didn't vote for the best wishes of her constituents but she wouldn't do that anyway because she's a Tory didn't she do well for a Tory well I'll tell you what what would be better next time is if we didn't have a Tory MP and we had a Labour MP who voted in support of the best uh, oh god uh in support of their constituents <laughs> that would have been a great clip never mind <laughs> <laughs> Jane, do you think that, I mean, it's clearly not, it's clearly not enough at all, um, but do you see any benefits on what's being proposed at all? No, nothing at all. It's going to be so harmful for the economy. Working people are suffering so much already, not just working people, you know, the 99% are suffering generally and taking more money out of their pockets at this time is one of the least helpful things they could do. It's going to hit businesses as well as individuals. And I don't think it's going to fix the social care problems because it doesn't address any of the real issues in that system. It's just a, it's a headline grab for them again, isn't it? Or oh, we've done something and then it's gone and people think they've done something, but it wasn't a very useful thing they actually did. I'll come to you in a moment, Neil, sort of. Um, I mean, I was reading an article where there's a woman who's paid £400,000 for her mother's care. She's six years in um, a care home, £400,000. She has long-term dementia. I mean, do you not think that the, the cap is um, a step towards trying to do something about that? Um, I mean, if you've got a completely different politics to me, then you might see it that way. But it's just going down a path I wouldn't have even gone down. I, it seems like there's a really obvious answer to this. It was in our manifesto at the last election, like Neil says, this has got nothing to do with it. It's a sticking plaster over a wound. It's not even that. Neil, very briefly, because we need to be moving on. Yeah, the, uh, the the cap was in the the, the cap was proposed in in the Labour manifesto as well of hundred thousand pound. So that's where that's come from, uh, in my opinion. But the the main people are going to suffer from this. Other people are going to pay the most, which is disabled people, you know, who receive uh, care and stuff like that. And there's we talked about Ken Loach earlier on. Um, Jane mentioned about him. You know, have you seen? Um, uh, Sorry, we missed you. 
the B story in that is about a care worker who's running herself into the ground trying to do a job because she cares. And it's kind of like, and it, you know, and it's people like that who are really going to suffer and, and disabled people in particular are really going to be hit hard because a lot of disabled people as it is pay, uh, pay premium on top of uh, the poultry benefits that they get, well, say benefits, I don't think it is a benefit. I think it's an amount to, um, uh, to help you. I, I, don't, I, I don't agree with the word benefit, but anyway. Um, so, you know, it's going to be them as well. It'd be good to hear from some disabled people about how, you know, what their thoughts are on this. Because, of course, let's not forget, they were also left out of uh, the uplifting benefits for the uh, for legacy benefits. Again, I'm saying that word and don't like it, but um, but they were left out of that as well. So it'd be interesting to see what their perspective would be now. Yeah, thank you, Neil, for your, um, your expertise on all this. It's been really helpful. Paul, um, a lost opportunity for Labour? Always, um, you know, but I, I think the, the worrying thing about me is the economic illiteracy of, of all the politicians. It's just like, it's a complete nonsense the way they go on. Um, they they talk about, I, I don't understand, even if the economy worked the way they think it works, which it clearly doesn't, like, you know, they it's not tax and spend it's spend and tax and the tax is a redistributive thing and if you think actually right so look at what's happened in the pandemic there's been comments going in there um lilith said about how um about how 84% of it's going to private private like um providers and you know some of those will be ethical some of them won't some of them will be skimming from the top um but basically what's happened during the pandemic as well as most of the money that has been pumped in by the government which is in which is pumped in by basically typing numbers into a screen and saying right that money's now available that's how easy the government and the bank of england create money so they create money in that way the problem we've got is most of that money because of our absolutely broken capitalist system is going towards the richest people in the world. The billionaires are getting richer and none of the money is staying in the communities and none of the money circulating. So if you were going to do a tax raid, really I think you need to completely, completely change the system so this doesn't happen. The problem is the fact that the money's going straight up to those yeah. people. But um, if, in, like, if you can't do that, then you tax the wealth of the richest people you don't take the money from people who they don't, who don't have it. If you're going to raise tax, it needs to redistribute the wealth. And that is a last case scenario in a broken system. Um, so, I don't know, like raising national insurance is going to mean that people in our communities are going to be poorer, which means less money will be spent in our communities, which means less money will be available in our community. And it will not affect landlords like Paul Howell, who voted for it. It will not affect him in the slightest. Um, it will not affect people who are billionaires because they barely pay national insurance anyway. They have ways and means of getting out of these things. Um, so that is the situation we find ourselves in. Rich people getting richer and the Tories pretending that it's tax and spend to try and keep us in our place by raising national insurance that they don't know what they're going to do anything with. This is all about keeping us in our place. It's a power trip. It's nothing else. It's not trying to be economically sound. They don't need to do this because that is not the way our economy works. Yep. Thank you very much, Paul. And uh, a, a disastrous uh, decision. The main thing for me is the utter failure to specify what's going to the NHS 
and what's going to care the care system. We have an absolutely creaking at the seams care system. And the fear is, is that the NHS will just swallow up the sum total and more. And, and, and where for care um, is, is just the big through issue. Through private providers as well for the well, NHS. That's, and, and... that's just such a, a, a mm-hmm. do. And, and um, I, I, I'm really sick about, uh, about it. Um, Righty-ho. Um, Jane. Um, so I was wondering whether I've messed up again because I was wondering whether I should go that, but we've done the other questions, haven't we? Yeah, Zara Sultana. Um, now this came in as a, a late bid and, and shot to the top of the poll. Um, sort of, she was talking about Islamophobia and racism, and perhaps understandably became distressed about it. But is this a big story, Jane? that she got emotionally distressed. Um, so um, what do you reckon to this story? It should be a big story because this really matters. Um, I think we've gone down a really bad path or we're going down a really bad path in this country. I think she's right. It does come right from the top with the offensive language used even by the Prime Minister, not just in private and reported, but you know, in articles that he's published, standing up in public arenas and saying disgusting, offensive things that really hurt people. And then you hear that there's increases in, you know, attacks and violence against minorities after he said these things and maybe that's not his intention but we need people smart enough to know the consequences of what they're going to do when they've got that platform and I think it's really important that we start to see what he's doing people it's not okay I'm sorry that we we seem to be having a bit of a problem with with reception. What was that last sentence against Jane? You just froze and we missed the whole of it. Also, yeah, it was just we need to start seeing what this is doing to people. It's not okay. We need to treat each other like human beings. We're not cash generating units, you know, on on a step of importance according to our ethnicity. We're all human beings. We're all equal. I mean, I that is unarguable. but when we were talking earlier, I warned you that I'd be asking you this. I mean, every one of us on this panel has she read out some of the things that people had said to her and got distressed about those things. Uh, sort of every one of us on this panel has had much worse said to us on social media. Um, uh, do you not think that uh, she was um, overwrought about this? Do you think a more a, a less emotional um, what what you're what what we're dealing here? I think is one of the major problems facing our society, and it's it, it's sort of a, a key evil, and 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 sort of by shifting this the the, the balance from the, the the focus from the Islamophobia and racism onto her emotional state when she was giving this the speech. Do you not think that damaged? the impact of what she was saying. No, it did the opposite because she clearly wasn't just talking about herself. There were children growing up in this country. There are other people living in this country dealing with these things every day. And um, we need to know this is what it's doing to them. It's damaging them and it's damaging us and dividing our communities. Thank you, Jane. God bless you. Sam, an idea? I think it's... it's uh... 
I didn't actually watch the speech, so I'm not sure what the actual things that she read out were. Um, but yeah, obviously I've never been basically. a victim of. You're a terrorist. Yeah. You need to die. Go back to where you came from. That kind of thing. Okay, but saying that to a white person is very different to saying that to somebody who has has a, a an ethnicity which is always being discriminated against. So I think those things have a, a different weight. Uh, and so it's it's not directly comparable. I mean, yes, uh, I particularly have some had some horrendous things said to me on on social media, um, and and people need to bloody stop it and and you know get over their own end and and grow up. But um, I do think it's important for people to show emotion as and when it's as and when it hits them. I think it's important for the public to see politicians as human beings who have feelings. Um, because we don't do ourselves any favours by just constantly putting on a brave face and going, oh, it doesn't bother me, I'm big and strong, because, you know, we are humans and we do have feelings. Go on then, John. Thank you so much. Um, Neil, um, here's another idea. The, the problem is Islamophobia and racism. The language that people use is a symptom. Do you think that we're trying to tackle the symptom rather than trying to tackle the problem? No, I don't think we're even trying to tackle uh, the symptom or the cause. I think I mean, it's rampant in our society and it's been uh, pillaged and it's been used as a weapon uh, by a lot of the mainstream uh, right-wing press, um, as well as um, being used by various high-profile politicians. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, and the fact that this, uh, what... Um, uh, what what she said didn't actually uh, make any headlines or anything like that. Really tells you how normal it is, and that's the bit that sickens me the most. When when I was watching the clip um, of what she was saying, all that I could think of is uh, Luciana Berger, and when she gave that speech in Parliament about anti-Semitism, and she broke down in tears saying she's had all this from Labour Party members, even though she could never prove it from Labour Party members. But still, I believe she re received all that abuse. I do believe that. And yet that was in the headlines for days afterwards. So there seems to be, you know, acceptable forms of racism and, and less, form, uh, less, uh, less acceptable forms of racism. Um, of course, there shouldn't be any uh, acceptable forms. It's as simple as that. Uh, but I mean, I worked in children's social care where um, a lot of my colleagues had to do uh, training for the prevent agenda. And, you know, I had to actually explain to them why it was racist, you know, because it was essentially asking you to spy on uh, uh, Asian families in the, in the aim that you might uncover some intelligence, you know, even though it doesn't do that. You know, it's, it, it, it's ridiculous, you know, that racism is rampant in our society and it, we do need to find a, a solution uh, to this where people can uh, discuss things openly and you know and, and you know some of the things that were said uh, were horrific yeah. you know um, you know you know being a terrorist and things like that because of the color of her skin and because of religion it's it, it's disgraceful you know and yet we, we tell people we're a tolerant country and if you want to see how tolerant we are have a look at the front page of the Daily Mail on any particular day. I mean, uh, yesterday when Emirada uh, Khan uh, won the uh, won the US Championship thing, um, at the US Open, um, 
you know, um, alongside a large picture of her, it pretty much said that um, it, it, the headline was pretty much saying, go back to where you come from. But it was about pushing uh, migrant boats, you know, I call them refugees, but, you know, um, but pushing them back to France. It's like you, you couldn't make it up, you know, on one page. You know, <laughs> they have this uh, the story of a, uh, a woman of, of a of migrant family that has done Britain proud, and then at the same time, right next to it, you know, but you know, so we're welcoming uh, refugees that are that are p- pretty good with a racket now. Is, is that is that the level we've gone to? Thank you, Neil. I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's sort of we we we're um, going to have to press on. Um, God bless you for what you're saying. Agree, Paul. You, you just a quick summary, please, on this subject. Um, I, I, what I worry about is that she's brought this up and she said it's members on both sides of the house aren't taking this seriously and aren't taking this seriously. And I think what's happened over time is. Um, it's become a box to check to say as a politician, oh, yes, yes, I'm anti-racist, but they don't intend to do anything at all about it. And actually, they don't even intend to understand it. Um, and they are the only time they ever really care about it is when they can go at the opposition with it and say, you're a racist for this or you're a racist for that. And we saw this um, We saw this over the past few years where people didn't really go for Boris Johnson for actually being racist. And people went for Jeremy Corbyn, having him personally not done anything racist. I don't think he's been accused of anything actually racist. And yet it is widely accepted that he is somehow a racist. You know what I mean? So the that to me suggests that there's something else going on. There's an underlying thing there where even caring about racism has become something else. It's become something to be used against one another rather than actually caring about the racism that you want to stamp out. Thank you. And we're going to stop there. That is just such a wise thing, uh, Paul. Stuart, watch out. Paul's taking your, your mantle here of the, 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 the killing last statement. Um, our last question um, is uh, an article in the Northern Echo. Durham police charge dozens of beggars and rough sleepers. And I was really surprised by this because actually Durham County Council has a fantastic um, policy on, on rough sleepers. So I just asked Samantha um, to, to, to sort of talk about this. What, what's going on here? Um, this is absolutely at odds with what the county count. This is the police arresting them, um, uh, sort of under the Vagrancy Act, is it? And 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 sort of and and absolutely against the kind of thing that changing lives and Durham County Council are trying to uh, achieve. We only have five minutes for this topic. Have a bit of a talk, and I'll I'll, I'll take quick comments from the other three. Sam. Great. Okay, so the news is that since 2015, um, and relatively recently, Durham Police made 61 charges under the Vagrancy Act. So first of all, what I'm going to say is, like, I'm not excusing it, but if, if the police have something at their disposal to use, it's very difficult to then blame them for using it. You know, um, I don't think the Vagrancy Act should exist. I think it's a regressive, it, you know, it's a, it's a terrible law. Um, but knowing what I know about the problems that we have in society, sometimes the police have to use tools which aren't supposed to be for a certain thing for like another thing. So I, 
no, I know Durham County Council and I know they work very, I'm working hard at the moment to try and get help for somebody who's on the streets in Shildon who sadly does not want help. So there's not a lot you can do there. But, and I know our local police are very passionate and very caring and supportive. And I know that the police and the council work together to find houses. And I know there's plenty of houses for people um, in, in in County Durham, there are plenty of spare houses. There are there are places people can be housed. So, I just th- I do think this is the Northern Echo trying to stir up a bit of a story. And I think if you looked at that number compared to other local authorities, you probably find it is extremely low. But I think it highlights the fact that this law should be abolished rather than you know it, it should highlight the fact that the law should be abolished rather than being used as a stick to hit uh, Durham police over the head with. Durham police who are consistently ranked as outstanding in when they get inspected, you know, they can't be doing that much wrong. Thank you. Okay, three people. I'm going to ask you for your comments, but it's one minute each. And please forgive me that when the minute clicks, that's it. Okay, I'm going to just cut you off very rudely. Um, sort of, uh, Jane, first of all. Um, oh, I don't know what to say about this. Um, but we, I think we need a housing first um, policy in this country, and we need to deal with the complex needs of people on the streets. And this is just not helpful at all. Um, but I don't know why the police have done what they've done. I don't know if people have made complaints, and then they're in a situation where they feel they have to act on complaints even if they don't agree maybe that's not the case though I don't know I think very often you know I've been involved in a situation Jane where um as Samantha says the person refused to accept any of the help clearly a mental health issue needed help desperately but the only way that anything could be done he was camping on private land and the only way um was the the, the police had to intervene in the end Neil Yeah, um, I think it's, is it not disgraceful uh, that in 2021 we criminalised people for being poor, which is pretty much the point Sam made. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know where else I can really add. I mean, I was just looking up as uh, Sam was talking, and West Yorkshire Police in the past five years, six years have, uh, have charged 886 people uh, and took them to court uh, for begging, and it's kind of like, would the would the money uh, take them to court, convicting them and trying to chase the the fines uh, from them? Be not would it not be better spent in uh, propping up social care systems such as you know mental health services, you know homeless uh, services, etc. With it with the fifth richest economy in the world, why the hell have we got anybody in such abject poverty that they're actually criminalised for it? That's that's a real question we need to ask. Thank you, Neil. What a brilliant point. <laughs> Spot on. And the last word, Paul. Um, there's a there's a couple of issues here. One's a logic point, like taking people to court who have no money to pay a fine because they have no money because they have nowhere to live is just utterly illogical. It's it's utterly stupid anyway, regardless of the cruelty of it all. Um I'm I worry about what the police do sometimes. I worry about what the police find how the police find time to do things like this because I'm sure that there are other things that are very pressing for the police to do. I know that there's, um, you know, and why, why are they concentrating on this? 
But I'd, I'd just like to finish on a little comment on what Robert Jenrick said. He said, um, I think I think he said finding people who already have next to nothing is pointless. Um, so you know this was someone else, but finding finding people who already have next to nothing is pointless and just drives people further away from support. Often keeping them on the streets for longer. Housing Secretary Robert Jenrick told the House of Commons in February the act should be consigned to history. If only, if only they had the power to do something about this. These poor people. You know it should be. Why can't someone just get their heads together and get something done about this 1800s law? Because it's very silly. Dear Thank me. Um, and there we have it. Uh, sort of. Um, thank you for letting me bully you, people. God bless you. Um, can I just say thank you to Jane and Neil? Your contribution to the show has been spectacular. Um, thank you. Really, um, some super ideas coming out. I hope people appreciate it on on the comments. Um, thank you, Sam and Paul, as, as, as always, just stalwarts. And you know what happens now? We all go, I, I actually haven't had a drink of water, but sort of we all, we take a bit, a bit of a break. We listen to No Pass Around and uh, we come back and uh, Sam uh, looks at some of the fantastic things you've been saying uh, for a short while. And, and so stick around if you can. If you've got to go, goodbye. Um, have I forgotten anything, Paul? Nah, just no. um, if, if you if you've got to go as well, don't forget to do all the subscribing things and become a member of Socials Think Tank and all that stuff. And also, what Neil said about um, what uh, what disabled people think about this, we've got Deepak coming on, disabled people against the cuts on Saturday. Um, so we will find out exactly what they think about this. Um, so well, some disabled people they don't speak for everyone but they are absolutely incredible deepak so looking it's forward to that one fantastic work that socialist thing like he's doing week in week out unbelievably good um if you've got to go goodbye um otherwise see you in five minutes bye-bye hello it's we're back i've just been catching up i've stopped and started this knitting project about 12 million times so I'm getting pretty single-minded about it now like every moment spare because I've got a lot to catch up with um thanks for sticking around and talking to us um speaking of difficult we were talking about uh, whether we should be ashamed of being British and difficult conversations um I this will tickle you, John. I have been uh, mandated to attend equality and diversity training. <laughs> I know I'm such a naughty girl. Well, not me specifically. The complaint wasn't about me at all, actually. But um, there was a complaint made about a member of the town council that I'm on. And in the response, in the response to a member of public which the complaint was made about um our town council used the phrase our community um and the legal and governance department at durham county council have decided that that was um exclusionary language and that because nobody in the town council picked up on it and uh, debated it and said we shouldn't use the phrase our community it should have been the community um apparently we all have to attend um equality and diversity training so me 
being the lefty snowflake that I am, I was like, that's great. I love training. I love learning new things. I'm really going to enjoy like learning this. And But that was not everybody's take on the situation. <laughs> but as usual, it will be the people who don't need the training so much, which will attend. And those who probably do need the training will not attend. And actually, there's no way of forcing anybody to attend. <laughs> so... That's great. Thanks, world. <laughs> how can they? Um, how can they ask us to do? Ask, ask you to do that for something that appears to me to be just normal language. I've seen like people talking about our community all the time, and yet yeah, some uh, people are saying absolutely horrendous things mm. on a regular basis, and not being sent for training at all. I really don't understand. It is interesting. I mean, to give you some context, Neil and Jane, a, a local councillor did actually um, compare people going for their COVID vaccinations to being sent into a gas chamber during the Holocaust. And I don't believe that she was asked to do any training or there was any uh, case to be answered about that because it was argued that she was... Um, acting in a personal capacity. So it does seem a bit strange, um, but there we go. I tell you what, the whole thing about um, the, the disciplinary processes in local government, it is a bit, is a, is a mess. I mean, unless you actually commit fraud, you can't be dis deposed as a councillor. I think the, the most, the most, the highest sort of, uh, punishment a council can give you is something called censure where they basically just publish a statement saying that they disagree with what you did <laughs> so it's the very toothless sort of situation going on and yes our town clerk was told that we had to provide the training for the councillors but she didn't have to record who attended um, and there was no punishment for not attending so that was just really useful use of printer ink that wasn't it Oh gosh! Well, anyway, just on the back of that, yeah, crazy. Uh, just anyway, on the back so of that, we'll... I, uh, I worked in. Yeah. Sorry, so I worked in Bradford Council for eight years, and <laughs> I I was never offered any uh, any uh, quality and diversity training at all. There wasn't any provided at all in one of the in one of the most diverse cities in the UK. None. And the council, uh, the councillors themselves did a report which revealed huge problems with racism within the council, which still hasn't been tackled. And the first thing you do is you need to educate people. You know, so you know it's interesting to hear that other lo other local authorities have the same problems as Bradford. It's just it's not good enough. It's it's shocking. Mm, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, what made what tickled me in the comments uh, was when, when we were having internet connectivity issues, uh, Mark said, don't you just love this capitalist broadband? <laughs> yeah, it's working really well. Mm. <laughs> Apparently my um, confused face is class as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that um, your confusion is, is valid. On this one, I get really angry about the, um, the, the sort of what Paul was saying when they complained about people saying, um, 
I was taught you must never talk about my school because it's um, a very tyrannical thing. It doesn't belong to you. The school doesn't belong to you. I didn't call it my school because I thought it belonged to me. I called it my school because I thought I belonged to it. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, so don't don't say st- my family. A stupid thing to say. And then so you're not the gaffer. Talk about our community. This is very, it's not exclusionary at all. It's just sort of, um, it's, it's, surely that's what you're supposed to do as a counsellor. Look after your community. So then for God's sake, I'm cross with them about something where they disagreed with me. Um, sort of, so that's coming out. And, and you're absolutely right about the fact that it's just completely bonkers is the disciplinary and, and thing, people are getting away with things they shouldn't get away with and then they come up with this nonsense. Anyway, like My point about this is almost like a box checking exercise, isn't it? It's like, oh yes, we very much care about equality and diversity. Um, so therefore we shall send you on a course and like, you know, a lot of the time, the courses that I've been on a lot of the time, you think, well, this only exists so that you can get a certificate at the end of it. What does this course achieve? Well, you get a certificate at the end. What would have happened if you hadn't have made the course? You wouldn't have got a certificate. But did it do anything? Did it help anyone? No. There's no point in the training. I went on an equality and diversity course at Durham County Council. And as you know, I'm autistic and I like my body space. And sort of they're very good to me at Durham County when I was a councillor. And what I would do is I would remove, I would sit on the end of the row and I would remove the chair next to me and put it to one side. And it just created a bit of space between me and the next person and, and made me feel, and, and everybody was very happy with that, you know? And, and the person actually would come and they would sit, sat next to me, they would often say, do you mind me sitting in this seat, John? Do you, do you need more space? They were just lovely. And I went and I, I got there early, moved the chair as I did. The course leader came over and put it back. And so... I said, um, uh, I waited till he'd gone and I picked it in and moved it out. And he came and he put it back again and he says, we're going to need all the chairs today. And, and uh, sort of, um, I just thought, well, the only person who's not accounted for my autism in Durham County Council in the last year is the Equality and Diversity Trainer, who never thought to ask me why I was doing this. And um, sort of, um, anyway, I moved it again a third time, and, it, and that was the end of that. But sort of, the, I mean, sort of, it, so some of this is bonkers, isn't it? But um, that is not surely, uh, Sam, to. Um, downgrade the importance of, of, of training an issue such yeah yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of a funny one but like I said I will go on the training and I will I will do my best to benefit as much from it as possible um and I will definitely scrutinize those kinds of replies a little bit harder in the future so that's job done <laughs> um <laughs> Tim Dredge recommends the uh, Citizens Advice Bureau um equality and diversity training I will I will forward that on to our town clerk who I'm sure will be happy of any help she can get for this extra work she's been given <laughs> oh geez well there we go that's life um what else funny comments or interesting comments did we have the thing about that Lilith said <clears throat> about 84 percent of the care being given by for-profit companies like we know we all I think uh, me and John know um a private care home 
manager I think a lot of people probably know people who are in managerial or or, or roles within care homes and you know that they're good people and they are trying their best in the in the context that they are but whenever you've got a for-profit company you've got a whole lot of money that could be spent on the service rather than giving money to your shareholders haven't you so I think that really needs to be um really needs to be driven home that, that as long as we've got the majority of care being delivered by profit for profit companies there is always going to be a bit of a care crisis actually because they're always going to drive the highest amount of money as possible out of the people who are paying whether that person who is paying is the local authority the government or the end user they're always going to try and maximize the profits because that's their legal obligation as a profit making company um so i think that's a huge thing and and that's one of the reasons this tax hike is not going to change anything isn't it because it hasn't done anything about that and um as far as i'm concerned as long as as long as private companies have the majority of the market that's what's going to happen well that's what the Anybody, that's what yeah. the that's what public money appears to be for now it appears to be to fund the private sector like this is happening more and more and more and there's been analysis done on the city of london and stuff that that suggests that actually the city of london everyone's always like oh it generates so much money um, through the wealth laundering of uh, all these different things. And th- there's some analysis go- that's gone on that suggests that it's actually taken money out of the country. It hasn't been at all a good thing, and it actually has taken more money than it's put back in because all it ever does is take from the public sector and then um, and then hide it offshore. And, you know, I'm still... I- I'm sure I mentioned to you that I was reading the Panama Papers and... And that was uh, just an absolutely sickening thing that we've gone, um, that nothing really happened about that, you know, nothing really happened about the Panama Papers. And it's actually, there's quite a hopeful section in there where the authors of the Panama Papers, the people who'd done all the research, and it was such a meticulous thing and so well done. And they were like, and I think I can see the beginnings of a sign of change towards the end of the book. And it's like, no, you haven't, you didn't, nothing changed. In fact, it's probably getting worse. They, they now the difference is that people just accept that the money will be laundered and money will be taken offshore and these people won't pay tax and actually it's ordinary people who will pay tax and and not everyone else yeah seems to be a lot of feasibility studies being like done as well like every everybody who I'm talking to is doing a feasibility study into something and I'm just like can you not just decide whether you think it might be a good idea and just do it because I feel like there's a lot of people being paid for doing feasibility studies and it just seems like really basic things <laughs> like one of them is a feasibility study into whether a building can be used for social care well surely people who are providing the social care could go to the building and tell you if it's feasible <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, anyway, it's making money for someone. That's the thing, isn't it? As long as it's making money for someone. I wasn't a huge fan of uh, Bullshit Jobs, uh, the book, but I did oh, appreciate amazing. the bit. I, well, I disagree, but <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy the bit where he was talking about just layers of companies being paid to 
do things for other companies um, and it's just layers and layers of bureaucracy that only exists to make money for shareholders really that it's not not useful jobs that need to be doing you could pay somebody to just move that chest of drawers over there but instead I'm going to employ a company that employs people to employ people to employ people to move that over there and somebody's going to do a feasibility study at some point <laughs> oh dear I, I think you're talking about um in in Graeber's terminology even though you didn't like the book in Graeber's, Graeber's terminology that they will be taskmasters there would be people who create work for others to do but if they did not exist the work would still be done yeah <laughs> I've upset masters. people by saying but I haven't totally finished bullshit jobs but I did get bored of it <laughs> because did you read I think it or some did you of the listen? things he said are bullshit jobs aren't that bullshit I think some of them are but some of them aren't Don't well he defines what it is though he defines what a, a bullshit job is yeah there are no impact studies being done by the government on their policies Certainly not the universal credit card. I talked to a gentleman in a pub the other uh, at the weekend, um, and he worked full time. He worked full time, and he was on universal credit. And I just think that's absolutely mind blowing that that's possible in our country. That 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 somebody hasn't looked at that and done a feasibility study and reckoned that we should be paying people enough to live if they are working all of the hours that you know is safe for somebody to work <laughs> but and then and then Teresa Coffey says she, she should just work an extra two hours which is funny because the last time I checked they hadn't raised the minimum wage to 10 pound an hour so an extra two hours wouldn't give them an extra 20 pound a week either and <laughs> <laughs> and it's if you're going to redefine what full time is, Teresa, well, you need to redefine that. But full time is full time. People shouldn't have to work more than full time to be able to provide for their basic needs. Are you going to talk there, Neil? Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, as I said earlier on, if you're on universal credit, for every pound that you earn, it takes 63 uh, pence off you. Um, so in order to uh, to earn back that £20 on a minimum wage job, being over 23, uh, which is £8.91 an hour, you would actually have to work more like six hours to earn that back. And that also then takes into account, um, you know, income tax, national insurance contributions, things like that. So, you know, she's, she's in cloud cuckoo land. She really is. You know, and the fact, you know, and as Peter Stavanovich said very well that, you know, the Tories are doing what they do do best is you know when they're up um, uh, when they're up certain creeks they just start lying the way out of it in, the whole, in knowing that the majority of the mainstream media won't challenge them on it. I mean, how can you not know about? I mean, I, I, I can understand the majority of the mainstream media not knowing about the sixty three percent, but they don't. Who fact checks? Who does it? Who, who does the research? Uh, before they do these interviews. I mean, nobody... Ch I mean, I watched it on BBC and I watched it on uh, GMB um, and nobody challenged her. Nobody challenged her on that fact. Nobody. She's not exactly great, though, is she, Theresa Coffey? Like, she's uh, with her, like, going around puffing a cigar, voting for terrible things, having a go at Marcus Rashford, that kind of thing. She's not exactly... Uh, a nice person isn't she like she voted against gay marriage and she's um she's like employed her sister 
on a casual basis on the parliamentary payroll and you know she takes interns from the roman catholic bishops con uh, conference which pays for interns and provides them with accommodation she's just like she's just everything people don't like about politicians in my view that's what yeah. she is she doesn't care about anyone else and she's on every single thing like we're not saying she's breaking the rules but she's doing everything that the people would consider to be unethical and you know and trying to take like she claimed so much last year in expenses and yet she's saying well you can just work for two hours to get that money back you're like well why don't you do some work why don't you rather than claiming these vast <laughs> exactly. expenses you know you should actually do some work rather than make other people's lives imagine that's another aspect of bullshit jobs actually people who actually actively do damage she is actively doing damage to um, to people by voting the wrong way. And I would say that about all Tory MPs who voted for this. They are in a bullshit job because they think they're in a job, but they've actively damaged their communities by raising national insurance, economically and morally. Mm. I'm just going to give a shout out to uh, the shout out that is in the... Oh, it's gone. Where's my thing? I've got a thing. It says here, restream. Go on. Shout out to, oh, it's gone. Anyway, well, it was a shout out to Laura Stewart and Penny, who Leo 2021 over on Discord says they, they hope that you're all having a rest. Um, yes, Stewart is actually fighting a monumental political battle, and that's why he couldn't be here. And we're very proud of him. Um, and so hopefully you'll be able to solve say say something in the members chat later remember you can join socialist think tank as a member and you get to hear all kinds of things about my chickens and Stuart's monumental political battles and sometimes i might show you pictures of me doing aerial yoga which is quite fun today i suspended myself upside down by my ankles that was great and <laughs> um yeah speaking of like Tory MPs who aren't doing the job. Have you seen the story about the new uh, Hartlepool MP? Uh, the new Hartlepool yes. MP, Jill Mortimer, um, still doesn't live in the constituency. She is uh, again. This is a this is a pattern as well. Still serving on Hambleton District Council as a councillor and living in Hambleton because if she moves out of Hambleton, she can't serve on the council anymore. And she's apparently just like living the life of a local councillor, um, but drawn an MP salary as well. And she's not done any speaking in the House of Commons. She's not signed any early day motions. She's she's not done any like uh, House of Commons type. MP type work um, so obviously she disagrees because she thinks that she has doing work somehow just by being occasionally in the same room as Boris Johnson she thinks that that is how you fight for your constituents to occasionally mention the word Hartlepool in front of Boris Johnson they don't give a flying what do they like they really don't that what annoys me, Sam, is, is that this is a pattern that the people have rejected hardworking Labour MPs, uh, people who did the job, for um, Tory Tories. They voted for the politics and not for the, the local representatives. And uh, it's a very bitter pill to swallow is that. And they will find out, but they don't seem to care. 
And the people who are voting are very often the people who aren't affected anyway. And, and, and there's a huge problem here. Yeah. There's also the problem of like Labour really needing to stand for something and really needing to connect with those communities like that. That did not go very well in Hartlepool when she was elected. I think the whole the whole thing was a mess. Um, obviously, like Sedgefield CLP even voted no comfort. Well, no, not no confidence. They asked Keir Starmer to resign following that. Um, following that, I'm happy enough to say that because we haven't had a response in uh, many months since we said that. But after that Hartlepool humiliation uh, mm. and and nothing, you know, because it was so lackluster, just wandering around with a pint. Going, oh, I've got a pint. Vote for me. It's just uh, it doesn't really work, does it? It's there's there's a deep distrust going on, um, and it needs to be rebuilt. And I think people are working relatively hard in in Hartlepool to try and rebuild that trust. But there's all sorts of things went on with the council there as well. Remember, because a lot of the people who were causing the problems within the council who were Labour defected to go to like they they went to other parties and formed coalitions with the Tories and and caused untold damage. Um, and it's it's never been. Uh, it's ne- it never seems to be the people who um, the Labour Party seem to want rid of that have caused all this damage. But, you know, that's up to Starmer, isn't it? Indeed. Conference is going to be interesting. Maybe. Mm. Don't know. Is it, have they got enough members to hold a conference now? <laughs> that's a good question. Well, especially because it's all the way down there, isn't it? It's all the way down in Bristol and like to the to the, I mean, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I just it's too far. I'd need a, I'd need my passport. You know, it's <laughs> well, the Labour um, conference. Yeah. It is Brighton. 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 See, yeah. B- we're we're south. down there for the world transform. <laughs> too south for me to care. <laughs> we we. It, socialist think tank are there with uh, the world transformed yeah on That's the saturday great. night we're doing a live broadcast so socialist night live is coming from the world transformed and i'm running tech on like two other well helping not running helping with technical aspects of the one before and the one after us and ours is going to be a massive show like with really good guests and the one before us is a massive, massive guest, and we're not allowed to tell you who, who it is. But it's so huge, and I'm kind of nervous to work on it. So, like, when I, when, you know, when like I mess things up on this show, mm. if I mess this up for this this guy, it's gonna look pretty crap. But you know, never mind. Oh, wow. And then there's another Thank one you. afterwards as well. So yeah, it's gonna be a big day on the Saturday from three till about eight. I think there's gonna be back to back shows, nice. and ours is in the middle. So, well, enjoy yeah. yourself. I mm. ran the numbers. It would have cost me about three grand to go. So, um, no. Um, but um, what was I going to say? It was something else. I'm sure you'll have a great time. Uh, no, it's gone. But yeah, so it'll be interesting um, to see if anything does happen. This whole thing about the general secretary, secretary is a bit of a like a non-story though, because they just won't allow a vote um, on it. I don't think. They've not done a vote on it before, so that's what I hear. And Mm. I think um, that was Akers who said that. Did he say that? Yeah. Oh well, that is do not affiliate. Whatever he says, I want to say the opposite, please. (laughs) Um, Um, 
got a question. I mean, the reason why MPs like Theresa Coffey can be as crap as they are is because they obviously feel very comfortable where they are and they're comfortable that their constituents don't know about or care about people who are on universal credit. That's how come they keep getting elected, isn't it? And being so terrible at their job. I I think it's also the fact that nobody's holding them to account. I mean, Mm. to me, this this government is acting like a petulant child that keeps pushing the boundaries. And there's no adult in the room to tell them, no, 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 that's enough now. You know, and that's why, you know, look at some of the policies they're coming out with. It's because they know there's going to be no one opposing them because Keir Starmer's far too busy trying to kick people out of his party because uh, they they once spoke at a meeting um, of a group that was prescribed four years after they spoke at the meeting. You know what I mean? It's... It's, it's things like that. And, you know, so therefore, that's why Theresa Coffey gets away with it and Priti Patel. I mean, Priti Patel keeps breaching the ministerial code and she's still in post, as many as many others have. But of course, Boris Johnson isn't keeping his own party in line, you know, and which should mean it's very easy for Labour to jump on that and, and gain on it, but nowhere to be seen. Um, Paul says, not you, Paul, the Paul in the chat. <laughs> Don't worry about Stammer's speech. You can probably find a Dyson Airblade in a hotel toilet somewhere. Much more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I do really enjoy a Dyson Airblade. So I, I've, got, I've got strong feelings about hand dryers. Um, oh, I've got so... an idea based upon um, upon Dyson. And, and you know how he really dead keen on a free market? Well, if there was a really free market, then what you would do is get rid of all the patents, wouldn't you? Because that would be a free market. There'd be no such thing as a patent in a free market. So if he wants a free market, he should give all these patents away and like lead the way. I think that's a good idea. We should suggest that to yeah. him. Um, ahead, did you see Chris Hood's question, by the way? What? Did, what? You see, did you see Chris Hood's question? Oh, no, I didn't. I'll, do you want me to read it? I don't Go know if it. you can scroll yeah. back that far. Um, it's been 131 days since the Durham County Council elections. What are the panel's thoughts on how things have gone so far? Sorry, Jane and Neil, because you aren't. The, he actually says that as well because he knows you, um, you're not from the local area. Um, well, I think um, anybody who is counting their chickens at this point needs to um, hold the horses. Let's mix some more metaphors. Can we get any more uh, <laughs> animals in there? Um in the next month or so, the, the leadership of Durham County Council is going to have to announce what it wants to do with the new headquarters and announce what it's going to do with the DLI Museum. So those things might, might upset the coalition somewhat because there are many and very different opinions on those topics. Um, so I'll just watch this space. That's what I would say. John? I don't have a clue. I've been out for it, out of it now for 131 days. I don't have a clue what's going on on, on there. It's uh, one thing that you have to face when you're in politics is um, that when you lose your place, my golly, the waters close over your head quickly, and yeah. um, sort of you disappear without trace. So I, I'm I, sorry, Chris. I, I, I re- you tell us type of thing we'll read it out because you'll know much better what's going on particularly you'll know much better what's going on inside the coalition and um, sort of we would be interested to know the reality of that right I, I can't tell you anything at all um, 
There's yeah. been some comedy moments, haven't there, for for me? Like you know, I'm I'm not seeing the. I don't think it's. I think it's very early to see an impact. I think some of the funny things were like that. That conservative. I think he's the. Is he the vice? He's second in charge or something like that. Uh, the Richard deputy Bell. or whatever. Yeah, yeah who said that? Um, that oh, you know, you know, the, the government have been underfunding this <laughs> this Durham County Council for years. Oh, yes. this is terrible. This revelation. This has actually been going on for years, and you're like. Yeah, we've been saying that for years that your party have underfunded this area deliberately for years, and you've always said it's been Labour's fault. And they're like, "What to do now?" And they've 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 realised the reality of the situation, and and now demanding more funds. So that was kind of like, I don't know, one of those awful kind of vindication moments where you just go, "Oh man." I- and and how how anyone has the absolute brass knackers to come out with that? Come on, man! He's also, I mean, he's this is the guy who stood up a while ago and went mad at a uh, Labour motion because there is no crisis in adult social care. There is no crisis in adult social care, he said, and now he's got his own government. <laughs> His own government proving him a liar, and presumably, um, and the, the, I noticed that the um, uh, the county council um, labour group um, webpage is what's it called? County Durham Labour. Yes. Calling out on that. Well done to them. It's mm. almost as if they just say things without any real thought going into it or any real knowledge going into it. Like I wouldn't say that would be the case, but. Um, you know, it's almost as if you can imagine them just saying these random things and, and then unless they just keep on tripping and falling into wrong facts. Wrong facts. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Right, does anybody else have anything burning that they have seen that they want to pick up on, that they want to say? Kathleen Gilsenen has been fantastic today in the in the comments. Um, if you're still around, Kathleen, thank you very much indeed. Really appreciated reading what you said. Fab. Jen? Sorry, can I say something about the Panama Papers? Because I only oh, found yeah. out recently that the journalist who broke the story was murdered afterwards, and I didn't know if others knew that. I didn't know that. Yeah, Daphne Corona Galicia, her son's fighting for justice. So they've charged the three hitmen, basically, but they don't, one of them's talked, but they haven't talked about who hired them. Right, so she was scary. the Panamanian, because it was a big coalition, wasn't it? Because it was the, the Uber, well, I can't remember the names, but there were two, <coughs> two. they were called brothers, but they weren't brothers and because they, they had a similar sounding name, the German people who started the whole thing off. So she, the Panamanian link. I think she must be, yeah. I, I just oh, thought it would have me. been bigger news, but I literally found I was scrolling through Twitter and I thought, like, this can't be true. And I looked into it and apparently so. So you'd think we'd know about something like that, especially when you think about the high profile links within our own government. But um, perhaps it's too risky for us to be talking about this. Perhaps we're next. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if we ever got Da-da-da. popular enough, we probably would be. And why it's are people not talking about Julian Assange? to see if we're still alive. <laughs> yeah. Um, why, why aren't people talking about Julian Assange, who's been treated absolutely appallingly for being a whistleblower? Um, you know, and 
treated like uh, and Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning and uh, all these people who blew the whistle on these terrible things that were going on and and in if it was someone from another country who'd done this who wasn't like a western country i think you'd be saying what brave people and if you saw that the chinese government were treating assange like he has been treated by us the british like in britain at the moment i think you'd be saying that is absolutely horrific the treatment um it's torture oh god i've remembered what my moment of the week was that i forgot <laughs> Go for oh, it. it was it was at the bomb in Gaza again in retaliation oh. for the prisoners who escaped um, from prison. So um, the prisoners who escaped from prison have described what what went had been described to their family what went on. They haven't been speaking to their family since then because no one knows where they are. Some of them have been captured and some of them haven't. But they've been describing how uh, they were tortured. They had the legs broken. One of them had his leg broken and then was forced to continuously stand on his broken leg. Um, and they they're claiming that they were tortured by the Israeli government um, in uh, in prison, and now the the bombing of Gaza. Um, they talk the the Israeli government are saying it's incendiary balloons that they're worried about, um, and that's why they've increased their bombing. But uh, the the suspicion is that it's because of the embarrassment of these Palestinians who dug underneath a wall to escape from an Israeli prison. Stuff. I'd like to uh, raise a point that uh, a comment made by Mia um, about the Islamophobia we discussed earlier on. Uh, I've only been seen on Facebook, so I've not seen any other uh, comments, and it's there seems to be a delay coming on my feed. But anyway, uh, Mia said, uh, as a non-Muslim, I've experienced Islamophobia myself by people who have thought that I'm Muslim. Um, a lot of people have, ma have made a lot of assumptions based on skin colour. I've been accused of being a terrorist just for questioning government policy on security, something I have every right to do in a democratic society. I internalised all these messages, which, affects, which seriously affected my mental health. Um, it was of great comfort to see Zara speak out on this. It helped me feel as I'm not alone. Well, that was, you know, cause it, you know, it's important we do look at the impact of, you know, of that this has on people, you know, because it, it really does devastate people's lives as racism. And hate speech. Mm. Yeah. I always, like, had a lot of sympathy because when I was growing up, um, dad being Irish, I used to get called a terrorist by people who knew that, but they could never tell by, they could never tell by my skin colour. They could never tell by the way I looked that I was part Irish or that my dad was Irish or whatever. It was only people who ever knew me that used to call me a terrorist. That included teachers as well. Oh, joy. Um, they need some yeah. equality and diversity training. Ah, he's dead now. <laughs> oh, well, every cloud. <laughs> the extreme that far. <laughs> 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 dig him up me. and teach him. <laughs> dig him up and teach him. <laughs> I don't think um, a, a, a public show is this is the time to tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, what was I going to say? Um, that's that's one of the, the strong arguments, by the way, about um, why I think that why I think that trans women belong with under the umbrella of 
feminism um because when somebody is is it is because trans women are victims of misogyny right no nobody asks for your birth certificate before they start throwing misogynistic abuse towards you um and so it's, it's a similar thing to what sort of uh, Mia was saying about people assuming from a color a color of her skin that she's muslim um yeah anyway i'm i'm having a tired day so as you you've noticed my words aren't quite working as they're supposed to but we'll get we'll get through it um i think it's probably time for us to wind up a little bit uh so to remind everybody that you need to subscribe whatever you want whatever portal whatever internet wondrousness that you are looking at this program through you need to find a like button find a subscribe button to make sure you are notified of future broadcasts and another thing you can do is share it with your friends, share it with your political groups, share it with some people who you think might disagree with it. That's really mix it up. Um, and you can also join Socialist Think Tank as a member. It is free. It is free. What do you get in life for free nowadays? Well, you can become part of our community for free because we our are- Our community, a... you've done it Oh again. no! It is our community. It again! Pat. Yeah, no, you, you're inviting these people to buy to, to join. <laughs> you're excluding them by your language. Yeah, you could you could consider yourself to be ours in future, like part of us. What a terrible thing! Yes, <laughs> you can join the community for free, and um, it's nice. And you will get all the inside knowledge about Paul's interesting exciting adventures of the world transformed with his people who we can't talk about at the moment but close to the time you'll be able to talk about them and in our little private groups i'll be able to talk about them you'll get the real scoop then um so everybody uh do that and we will see you next week at nine o'clock on tuesday for 60 i mean what a milestone is that wow 60 it's going to be good. I need good. to get a job. And <laughs> Obviously, the have... three jobs I've got aren't enough for me. I'm full of my life. Mm. <laughs> Origins right has now moved to a Thursday as well. That's an important thing. And we have got an absolute belter on Thursday. We've got Joe Glenton, who um, it, some of you will know. He's absolutely brilliant. He was in the British Army. He went AWOL from Afghanistan. Um, he's got this most magnificent story you can possibly imagine. He tells us about that. He tells us about his own politics. He tells us about the different, uh, like loads of different aspects. And why people who were on the parliamentary, is it the Defence Select Committee or is it, what is it? The Parliamentary Armed Forces Scheme, like Phil Wilson and the people who dress up as army people, cosplay as army people, get called Waltz or Walter Mitty's by people in the army and uh, are not very well thought of by people in the army. That's a revelation. So um, I'm sure Mr. Wilson would like to watch that to find out what people in the army actually thought of him when he turned up at a BA <laughs> systems event. And <laughs> you got a lot of spare time now, Mr. Wilson. He, he can watch that. Yeah, bless him. <laughs> All right, then I'm going to say bye-bye. Everybody say bye-bye. Bye. 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 We'll take the red flag flying here.